The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Hello there, this is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. I'm uh, glad you're tuning in this morning. Uh, today we'd like to address some of the uh, points we've been discussing over the last few weeks. We've had some special guests, Dr. Mark Vanderwall and uh, Dr. Kathy Alexander, along with Dr. Tony Povolitis and Dr. Dusty Becker with LifeNet Nature, and uh, Kathy and Mark are with Caracal. So um, as we've been discussing over the last several episodes, wildlife conservation is not just about loving animals, although that certainly helps. It is about people. Here in the U.S., African wildlife conservation is about helping people, the public, the donor, you, that is, to better understand what is involved in making conservation happen to those animals we love, that we have an affinity for, for their inherent wildness and for the places they live. This involvement in conserving African wildlife, or even our old wildlife here in the U.S., is critical environmentally for all the reasons discussed over the last several episodes, but also psychologically as well. We humans need to know there are wild places that we can retreat to, that we can recreate in, that we can think about, to know that it's there, whether physically or just mentally, to escape to or find sanctuary from the hectic world we have created for ourselves. Some examples are, let's look, reality TV, uh, all the new shows that keep coming up that highlight the danger, the adventure, the place where no one has gone before, bringing uh, close to you in your armchair safari that which you can't get to personally. So part of what this has done is we've um, isolated ourselves from this reality, from this danger, from this adventure in our everyday lives here in the Western culture. And we need to find it again. We need to um, find a way to mentally connect with that in our urban landscape so that we remember that it's there. Um, but my question is, is when you're in the arm, armchair with your remote firmly in hand, uh, how are you really participating in wildlife? What are you really doing other than watching it? What we need to do is build a cult culture of where we are participating in uh finding ways to conserve wildlife, uh, to take action, turn what we see into from an entertainment activity into an activity that actually makes a difference in the real world. Another uh, 
example of looking at wildlife in terms of our human psyche is car commercials. Take a look at uh, the SUV car commercials and you're driving along in some place pristine, a jungle, a mud puddle, you're off road. So if we lose our wild places and we lose our wildlife, where are we going to go to in our mind and in our psyche uh, to escape from this urban miasma that we've uh, created for ourselves? So my question to many of you out there is, what if this wilderness is no longer there for us to not only emotionally and psychologically enjoy, but for the free services and benefits it provides to our very survival in all the later, lateral ways we've been discussing? Without wildlife and wild places, uh, a lot of our economics could um, find a bit of a dip and a crash. Tourism in Africa is incredibly important to the economic benefit of not only the country's uh, government and um, economic bottom line, but many times this is the only place where this wildlife exists. So if the wildlife is gone, let's say an example, the safari to Africa to go see the Big Five, which is a hunting term, and we're going to get into hunting a little later. Um, but if lions disappeared from the face of our planet and the only place we could see them in the zoo, who's going to travel to Africa to see the Big Four? Uh, how can we imagine our world without this wildlife on it? So... Um, as we've been going along on our discussions, we've had, we've have some blogs going and we're connected to Twitter and Facebook. Certainly look us up there, Wild Eyes Foundation. You can certainly look up our, uh, website, wildeyes at wildeyes.org. I'm sorry, that's our email address if you'd like to e email in a comment or a question. And our website is wildeyes.org where you can uh, look at some of our projects and learn more about what we're doing. Uh, I am the founder and the president of Wild Eyes Foundation. We've been operating in wildlife conservation in Africa over the last 11 years. I've been involved in wildlife conservation in Africa for almost 20 years. And through that time, I've uh, created a lot of uh, interesting relationships with uh, fellow conservationists, colleagues, and uh, have learned to incorporate a much larger view into my loving animals perspective, that it is much more about making and finding situations that work on the ground, that in, in incorporate and engage and engender local participation into wildlife conservation. Um, and this is done through uh, biodiversity centers, such as the Caracal Project with uh, Kathy and Mark that we had on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the LifeNet Nature Project, who's operating in Kenya. And uh, without this cooperation, uh, engagement, involvement, and participation on the ground by the local communities, then conservation will not really happen. It is not about... Uh, the Western agenda being implemented on top of large landscapes and heartlands and species protection, it, that can't be done without the engagement of the people who live with it, who live in concert and conflict with this wildlife. Uh, a lot of our processes here in the U.S., uh, we have 
we discussed a, a point a couple of weeks ago with Mark and Kathy about the culture of enjoyment. And one of the LinkedIn discussions that came up was they took it to a bit of an extreme, saying a culture of enjoyment brought us to a Disney-esque kind of attitude toward wildlife. And I don't believe that that is what we're talking about at all. I can see where you would get to that point. But um, what we're talking about here is a very basic difference in understanding of what wildlife is. Here in the West, we have an ability and a culture of enjoyment to enjoy wildlife, to go on safari, to go take pictures, and to enjoy giving our philanthropic time or our valuable volunteer time to helping out wildlife conservation. But in Africa, it's very different. Um, there they are living with wildlife on a daily basis. Here, the parallel would be ranchers and um, livestock owners who are working on either public lands, federal lands, or large landscapes that have carnivores to deal with, such as mountain lions, wolves, and coyotes and foxes. Um, in Africa, the large carnivores are um, a whole lot pose a whole lot more uh, possibility of a danger. And therefore, there's very rarely uh, access to see these animals. You don't have the zoos that we have where you can go and learn about these animals in a safe and secure environment. Uh, without diversity cent- biodiversity centers such as Caracal or uh, projects such as the Maasai Moran Youth Group and walking safaris, there's very little opportunity for local African and school children to participate with their wildlife in a safe and secure environment, one that is without conflict, either for personal security or security to their livestock and conflict mitigation. So once again, this gets into that lateral process of conservation and the challenges of working uh, and coordinating with NGOs and projects and field teams. Uh, teaching children where our food comes from uh, is an important aspect. I'd say the average African has a very good understanding where their food comes from and, uh, and the protection that is required for that food. Here in the U.S., we've created a culture of farmed food, uh, and the, usually the only uh, connection we have to that animal is under the plastic wrap in the store. Without our children understanding how we relate to animals in our daily lives, uh, whether it be here in the U.S. and understanding where our food comes from or in Africa in understanding what these animals mean to their ecosystem, their economic future, and their uh, environmental concerns, we're going to have a very difficult time in making conservation happen and engaging people in understanding the necessity of species survival in terms of lions or uh, here in the U.S. in terms of mountain lions and uh, wolves and foxes and coyotes. Um, so wildlife conservation has a huge, huge asp- uh, effect and uh, affect and effect on our economics globally and locally. So when we talk about acting locally and thinking globally, this is what I mean by that, that we can make a difference here by the choices that we make, what we decide to consume, and how we decide to interact with our wildlife and our environment 
in term with while also thinking globally of how this our actions and how we interact with wildlife and our habitat has a message and has an uh, a consequence and a ramification on how others elsewhere such as Africa interact and relate to their wildlife uh, we're coming up on a break here shortly. I would love it if you'd check out our website, wildeyes.org. Um, chime in on an email to, at wildeyes, W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at wildeyes.org. Or call into our show at 866-472-5788. Uh, after the break, we're going to get into a little more discussion about this culture of enjoyment and uh some uh, other discussions that have been going on in terms of hunting as a management tool in Africa and the parallels to here in the U.S. So I hope you'll stick around and join us after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The Wild Effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back to our wild world. We've been discussing some of the comments that have come in through some discussion groups on LinkedIn, the African Wildlife Professionals and African Conservation, uh, African Wildlife Conservation discussion groups on LinkedIn, some of the points that have been coming in through our Twitter and Facebook and blog. So we'd like to be able to address that. 
it seemed we uh, created quite a bit of commentary with our show with Dr. Mark Vandewall and Dr. Kathy Alexander when we created a, when we stated a comment uh, called culture of enjoyment, and that seemed to set some people off. And we'd like to clarify what this culture of enjoyment means. Um, what I found over the 20 years in working in Africa is um, that the more we understand and value what we have, the more likely we are to take care of it. So a culture of enjoyment in Africa is not about going to the animal park and enjoying as entertainment and recreation with the family the same way we would uh, go to a zoo or a wildlife park here. Uh, a zoo or a wildlife park here leaves off a, a tremendous aspect of what living with wildlife is about. In uh, any wildlife park here in the U.S. or in Europe or in a zoo, you are separated by your vehicle and or by bars between this uh, wildlife. Uh, we enjoy it from an emotional point of view perspective and point of view not necessarily enjoy understanding how to live with it ask any rancher or any uh, livestock manager who has to live and work on public lands where predators and carnivores still exist that um, it is very different than standing on the other side of a fence and enjoying looking at a lion when you're out there and you're trying to make your your life and your life way and your lifestyle and independent upon what you can grow or um, uh, in terms of livestock and ranching uh, in Africa and have to deal with wildlife and carnivores and predators, uh, you've got a very different sense. It's a very real sense of um, how to live with these animals and that's usually a conflict. So what we are through our projects and what Wild Eyes tries to do through these projects and my colleagues is to help engender a sense of value, a culture of enjoyment of value of what this wildlife means, not only to their economic bottom line, but to their personal lives and to their ecosystems and the biodiversity, which brings in the economics of tourism and uh, the, the children who are going to be growing up and having to live with this wildlife. Do we want to get to a planet where we have no wildlife, where we have no wildlife that exists only in Africa, where the only place we can see that wildlife is in a zoo? Um, the zoo is is sort of a creation of an ambassador of a species, but it is a very different uh, animal altogether than its wild counterpart. Um, what we try to do is find centers such as the Caracal Biodiversity Center where we can use orphan animals uh, that have run into some sort of uh, problem or has lost its mother because let's say the lion has been shot and you've got a cub or the leopard has been shot and you've got a cub or you've got a uh, bush buck or something that is now orphaned because it's been killed by wildlife. Uh, it provides an incredible opportunity for African children to get a hands-on, not necessarily physical hands-on, like petting a lion or something like that. I don't mean that necessarily, but a hands-on close-up experience of what this wildlife is. They're facing it in a secure and safe environment, and they can learn more about this animal. 
um, which ends up creating a culture of enjoyment, of better understanding of the other side of what wildlife has to offer besides conflict and uh, conflict mitigation between uh, your survival and that animal's survival. It brings into play a little bit more of the puzzle that it's not just us or them. Uh, Dr. Vanderwall had brought up a point also um, in terms of describing the haves and the have-nots. Typically, we um, use that term in terms of uh, wealth, how much money we have, the haves and the have-nots. Uh, Dr. Vanderwall had brought up an incredibly important point that I really enjoyed was that in Africa, the haves and the have-nots, or another way to look at that, is those who have wildlife and those who do not. Here in the U.S., we have um, done a very good job of uh, removing much of our carnivorous uh, predators from our landscapes. In Back in the 1960s and early 1900s, we extirpated our mountain lions, we extirpated our wolves. Extirpated means cause to go extinct, and only now are they coming back at the cost of millions of dollars. And yet at the same time, we have our wildlife services that are spending millions more of our dollars to control these animals and by that I mean kill them. So we're having a conflict here. It's an interesting parallel that here we're no longer learning to live with wildlife, where on the African side of the coin, we are trying to help and teach them to learn to live with wildlife. It's an interesting catch-22 in a conundrum. So as I said, the more we understand about our wildlife, and uh, understand its value, not only to us economically, but to us uh, in terms of the benefits that it provides to our ecosystems, the more we're going to learn to care for and value it as a resource that needs to be uh, taken care of, uh, promoted, protected, and conserved. Uh, wildlife is an incredible educational tool, as I discussed, the or- orphanages in situ in local African communities and getting school children into the parks and the reserves so that they can see wildlife in a different light. Um, I think it's a good opportunity for us to hear also to uh, engage with wildlife outside of the zoo entertainment situation. Go to a, a sanctuary, a wildlife rescue and rehab center, and get an idea of what this wildlife is about. Uh, take children. Children have... Uh, a natural affinity for animals. Look at any child with a puppy, any child with a kitty. They adore these animals. It's it's an instinctual, in, instant emotional connection. So it brings up a point. If children knew uh, where beef came from, that it was a cow, that where the chicken came from was actually that little fuzzy yellow bird that we saw on Easter, and um, that the cow is actually, the beef in that saran wrap package in the store is actually that cow they see standing eating on the grass. And if they knew in a, in a safe way, I'm not talking about in a cruel way or bombarding them with information that they can't handle at a young age, but if they knew what part animals play in our daily lives, they are our food, how much animal, uh, resource we use to create our food and how much food we use in our systems to feed these animals for our use and for our exploitation, they might have a different 
view about how we use animals. Um, there's some really good films out there about that. One is called Food Inc., which talks about factory farming and our uh, corporatized process of getting our food and how that works with the governments. It's an excellent film to watch. There's another one called Earthlings, which makes Food Inc. sort of look like a Disney film um, in terms of how animals are a big part of our daily lives, whether it be for entertainment in the zoos, entertainment in shows, let's say Las Vegas and how they use animals, entertainment in commercials. Uh, take a look at any variety of TV commercials and how they use animals for that to make a point. Um, so I think if children had a better understanding of what animals are in our lives and how we use them, then uh, they might have a different perspective of how we use them and uh, a change might come around in terms of our factory farming and we might get back to a bit of a little greener earth, a little more economic sensitivity and a little more animal sensitivity in terms of how we relate to them. There's really no difference between your pet dog, rabbit, and pet pig in 4-H and what you're eating in the store. So um, that, I hope, covers a bit of our concept of culture of enjoyment and uh, satisfies some of the comments that were coming in on the LinkedIn discussion groups. Um, so next I'd like to head to a point of contention uh, or one that can be high contention uh, in terms of management of wildlife, and that is hunting as a management tool. Uh, that's an emotional uh, knee-jerk uh, point that we have going on that a lot of people here in the West say, oh man, how can you kill these gorgeous animals? Um, where in Africa we have poaching and um, hunting concessions and uh, uh, conflict over livestock, death of livestock. Let's say a lion comes in and kills your uh, cow, what are you going to do? So I think we're heading into another break here shortly, and uh, I'd like to get into this rather emotional uh concept and point hunting uh, of wildlife and hunting as a management tool not only of food resources but um, uh, trophy so we're going to go to a break now and we're going to come back and uh, talk about hunting as a management tool The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. 
Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Hello, this is Kelly Weiss with Our Wild World, and we have a surprise guest who's just phoned in from Botswana. Uh, since we're talking about uh, Dr. Mark Vanderwall and Dr. Kathy Alexander's show and the comments they brought up, we have Dr. Mark Vanderwall, who's called in from B- Kasani, Botswana. Hello, Mark. Hello, Ellie. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, thank you. So uh, we've been talking about a culture of enjoyment, was a co- which was a comment that both you and Kathy brought into our last show, and I, I guess you have something to say. Yeah, Ellie, I've seen some of the comments that people made about it and the comparisons with Disney, etc. Um, perhaps we might, uh, just to combat some of those um, comments, is what we actually meant there was, we, we speak about a culture of enjoyment, but Perhaps maybe um, that can be misinterpreted, and what we should possibly talk about is a culture of appreciation. It is more about people appreciating wildlife and the environment around them. Uh, you know, where this comes up is in Africa, these people are living with wildlife. Their appreciation of wildlife is much more of a negative one because they very often living in conflict with these animals. And it might not be direct conflict. It might even be family members that are living. They might be living in the cities where there's no wildlife. And it's an indirect conflict. But their actual appreciation of what that wildlife means to them directly is a fairly negative one. So what we try and do is to um, bring school children through, but not only the children, but, but the parents and the adults as well, and try and develop that culture of appreciation. It's, it's, it's not necessarily sitting in the back of a vehicle or anything, but it's, one has to appreciate the things around you that are a benefit to you. And this is what we're trying to establish. Now, when we talk about benefits, you've spoken about tourism, you've spoken about economic bottom lines and things like that. I think we also need to be a little bit careful about putting too much of an economic value on wildlife, which therefore should justify its well-being. Because many people do not benefit from wildlife financially, but they appreciate wildlife from an aesthetic point of view, because they understand the value of 
the environment and, and, and the ecosystems in which we live, whether it affects us directly or indirectly. And that, I think, is also a very important point to get across. And um, absolutely agree. You know, the, yeah. And the thing is that um, one needs to look at these things in 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 perspective. Um, you, you talk, you, you make the comparison between Africa and America, and I think maybe we should think about the Western world as a whole. And that that appreciation, that um, uh, what's the word to use? Uh, um, privilege, almost. You know, to be able to appreciate wildlife is something that people in the Western world feel very differently to the people who actually live in third worlds. And the challenge in the third worlds is, is to get people to really appreciate the aesthetic value. And we need to be careful of bringing it down to economics all the time. And I think we're going to probably come into this just now with a hunting um, discussion that you're going to bring up. Because we need to remember that from an economic point of view, many animals are worth more dead than are, they are worth alive to a lot of cultures. And this is, these are some of the, the issues that we're combating and why we have uh, so many big poaching problems because of that um, disparity between the economic value and the aesthetic value of those animals, you see. And these these are often very strong arguments and often on, um, you know, you, you get people from different points of view that sit on either side of a fence and, and argue the pros and cons. But I think we need to be diverse enough to... Um, tolerate other people's views and and understand that you know there's economic value, there is aesthetic value, there's um, conflict, there's um, you know people living in in safety. Um, there, it's such a complex environment that I think you know what we're trying to talk about here is is everybody coming in the um, and meeting in the middle road with the ultimate goal of conserving the environment and ultimately the planet that we live on. And this is, this is the biggest challenge we have, um, you know, amongst people and, and the different races, is everybody believes that they are right. And, and nobody's right. Everybody is right in their own perspective. And that, that, I think, is a very important thing to keep in the back of your mind when throwing these types of arguments out. And um, there are so many people doing such good work in different places and I think the work that they do suits the environment in which they're living and the specific problems that they have in their particular um, um, place that they, they're working in. So I think that that's quite, uh, you know, an important thing to just keep in the back of your mind. And then in terms of, of coming into the, the, the ways of developing and util, uh, developing, um, uh, conservation programs and, and the mechanisms that are used to get these messages across to people, as well as what we're going to be talking about just now is hunting, um, is, again, there are so many different methods that can be used. Now, we speak about the value of wildlife. Hunting is just one aspect of that. Um, there are so many other aspects of um, utilization that can be used. And if the model works in one place, then good, use that model. But it's not the only model that, that um, can be used. There are so many different ways of utilizing wildlife. 
And I think as as we develop our conservation um, ethic in the future, we need to think of all of the possibilities. You know, there are no there are no dumb possibilities. I think everything has got a place, and we need to try and maintain um, as diverse uh, an approach to conservation as we possibly can. Absolutely. I, I fully agree with everything you said, and you've brought up some really important points. Aesthetics, um, privilege, uh, utilization. These are all kind of uh, hair-trigger words. Of They come from different perspectives, as you said, us in the West and our perspective of um, what these things mean and, are, and sometimes comes down to a narrow point of view versus the African perspective perspective of living with wildlife. So you might have a comment here and I it might segue into hunting as a management tool or hunting period of uh animals um and there's that argument that wildlife must pay for itself. Um and once again this is this is a hair trigger argument and with a really strong fence running right down the middle. Um, and I think a lot of what you talked about is ways wildlife can pay for itself. But typically, wildlife is not the tourist. They don't have money. They don't have pockets. They're not paying for anything. What we are trying to do economically is provide a safe haven for wildlife to do what it does, be what it is, and exist for its for life in itself. And um, also, while providing an aesthetic value, uh, we're coming up on a break here shortly. I would love it if you'd check out our website, wildeyes.org. Um, chime in on an email to, at wildeyes, W-I-L-D-I-Z-E, at wildeyes.org. Or call into our show at 866-472-5788. Uh, after the break, we're going to get into a little more discussion about this culture of enjoyment and uh, some uh, other discussions that have been going on in terms of hunting as a management tool in Africa and the parallels to here in the U.S. So I hope you'll stick around and join us after the break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? 
W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Hi there, and we're back again after a little technical difficulty, and we were talking about a rather emotional issue, um, hunting of wildlife as a management tool, which brings into it the argument that wildlife must pay for itself versus, uh, let's say, conservation efforts and international foreign aid helping to pay for the conservation of wildlife through projects. So... I'd like to start out just with a little caveat that the key to hunting as a management tool is not as straightforward as it may seem. Um, we have Dr. Mark Vanderwall who uh, joining us from Kasani, Botswana, to address some of these issues uh, as it was brought up on a discussion group through LinkedIn uh, as a result of the conversation that we had with Mark and Kathy of Caracal. So in terms of hunting, uh, we have to figure out what species are being hunted, what are they being utilized for uh, food or uh, livestock, uh, conflict mitigation, uh, problem animal or resource comp- competition in terms of our resources and wildlife resources. Um, there's a lot of key parts to understanding hunting as a, a management tool and whether it's trophy, which we're, we in the West are, um, have a really emotional aspect to of killing uh, megafauna charismatic species for pleasure or for sport versus um, the problem animal, animal control or um, finding a different kind of economic benefit such as food and resources. Mark, uh, do you have any, uh, I'm just, I, know, I know you have something to say. I'd love if you joined in here. Yeah, um, Ellie, it is a very emotional thing, and, and, and again, you know, it, uh, it depends which side of the fence you sit on as to, you know, what sort of arguments people are prepared to put forward and prepared to hear. Um, like I said earlier, one needs to be fairly open-minded about conservation. And when we talk about utilizing uh, wildlife and wildlife having to pay for itself, it's 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 unfortunate that wildlife does have to pay for itself. As I said earlier, there should be an appreciation, a steady appreciation, because really at the end of the day, we are part of the ecosystems um, around us. And, um, you know, if we don't have that um, aesthetic uh, appreciation of those environments, then then we're kind of pulling ourselves out of it and, and standing back and watching things um, the, 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 the wheels turn in front of us, and and which, and that's very often a big mistake. Which is sort but of what's, inter- which is let me yeah. break in here one second. Which is sort of what's happened here in the West, as we decided to call it um, a little bit earlier. In terms of we use our open spaces and our wild areas, our national parks as recreation, and that's not necessarily possible uh, in all 
ways, hunt, uh, let's say biking, um, walking, hiking in Africa. It's a different kind of recreation. So your um, need for appreciation of wildlife for itself becomes really important. So uh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, but yeah, and as you said in, in, in the last program when we were on with you, Elia, I mean, even living in an urban environment, that that is an environment, and, and there are certainly you know, things that we need to be aware of and, and um, you know, we can we can certainly nurture um, those ecosystems as well. Um, but to get back to the um, utilization aspect, as I said earlier, I mean, we need to maintain some kind of an open mind because hunting is a, is a form of utilization. And I think the, the question comes in is, is, is it, a, is it a, f- a form of conservation or not? Now, the, the, the money generated by hunting is is pretty high, um, and I won't go into the, the discussions of whether you know um, non-consumptive photographic tourism is more valuable than hunting. I think both both components have a have a place, and um, you know not 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 everywhere is conducive to photographic safaris, and there certainly are marginal areas that are you know quite. Uh, readily used for hunting, and it, it provides it provides a use for that area that if it didn't have a wildlife use, it would possibly be used for something else. So there is a place um, uh, for hunting. There is a place for um, non-hunting. There is a place for pure protection. You know, this is the point I was trying to make. We need to be diverse in our conservation approach, and I, I certainly think hunting has got a place. Whether um, you know, some people value it as a, a sick sport and this type of thing. It, it doesn't matter. It, ha- it has a place value. In terms of, of management, um, I'm not quite sure how trophy hunting, for example, could be used as a management tool. Um, certainly there have been attempts in, in Southern Africa and probably elsewhere in Africa to use professional hunting as a means of problem animal control, so that you're not just destroying an animal, there is actually, you know, a financial benefit to it as well, and you're getting rid of a problem. It, again, this works in some places, in other places it hasn't worked. So in, in terms of all of, of, of that, you know, that I think is, is kind of the, the open-mindedness that we need to keep, that um, we can't just say that hunting is bad, um, it doesn't have a place. There certainly are areas where it, it does have a place and, and um, has actually generated um, some conservation efforts in a lot of places. And I think we also need to talk about what we're hunting. There's the prey species, which is hunting for food, uh, whether it be subsistence or commercial and um, survival, and then trophy hunting. And trophy hunting is the real knee-jerk. I'd say a lot of people, whenever you start talking about hunting as management, they immediately go to trophy hunting, which is very different. Um, The conservancy and hunting concession concept that is very successful in Southwest Africa and South Africa, where there are, um, where wildlife is managed very well, and they're not losing species at the rate that they are, let's say, East Africa, hunting plays an important part, plus it provides an economic benefit that actually gets in to the local conservancy or concession owners who are often uh, 
uh, let's call them tribal people, and this is a, a benefit. They have a quota they can fill. They can eat it themselves, or they can sell that license to a foreigner. Um, but here we're talking usually about utilization for food. As we get into utilization for trophy and killing elephants and lions, elephants is a slightly different aspect because hunting or culling has been used as a management tool in over uh, elephant overpopulated areas. But um, let's take lions, for example. We're losing our lions across Africa at an unprecedented rate, and hunting for trophy of lions strictly for sport so that someone can have a skin on their wall or on their floor is a very, very different um, sense of utilization than, as Mark had said, coming in and controlling a problem animal where there is livestock or uh, people conflict. Do you have anything to say on that, Mark? Yeah, you know, again, I think it depends, um, Elliot, very largely on 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 how well um, the the country or the concession or or, or whatever unit um, of land area we're talking about where these animals occur. Um, I think some of the problems that one has with um, declining populations where you do still have trophy hunting, it's very difficult to say that, that it's the trophy hunters that are actually causing that decline. There could be other forms of mortality, and more often than not, it is conflict um, where animals are... Yeah, where animals are dying at the hand of man because there's a conflict situation. And if, if the area is managed properly, then clearly, you know, hunting should not be carried out in these areas because you have a declining population and you're taking out, you know, the important component in, in the population. And that is usually the, the very large, um, successful individuals. And, um, you, you bring up a really important point here, management, um, the management of hunting. Uh, here in the West, we hunt elk, we hunt deer, we have bear season, we have mountain lion season. Um, the critical operative word I'm talking about is we have seasons. It is regulated, it is enforced. Um, Out-of-season hunting is taken very seriously here and people are fined and our wildlife uh, control uh, efforts do come into play. It's very different in Africa because you don't have this broad scale of um, doable management um, over a, a large geographic area that is typically um, not urbanized, does not have access to the urban center, or not is not as enforced, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you know, let's let's take elephants for example. I mean, Botswana's got a, a large population; it's a it's a rapidly growing population, and um, trophy trophy hunting on elephants was. Was legal. I believe that this is going to be stopped fairly shortly. Um, that's on the cards. But as a management tool, um, I think the number of trophy licenses that were issued were definitely not going to impact the, the uh, biology of the population at all. I mean, I don't think it would have much of an effect on on, on the population growth rate because it was a really small percentage. Um, but in East Africa, where um, poaching is becoming such a, a a, a big problem now with with elephants, where um, countries are, are are losing their elephants at a very rapid rate. One you know one finds it very hard to justify 
um, hunting, trophy hunting in those areas because they, they have a management problem. They have a protection problem. So that's why I mean, it, you know, it depends where you are and just how good your management is and, and your, your controls. Absolutely. Um, we have a few minutes left here uh, for the show, and Mark, you brought up a, an interesting point, and I've seen it on uh, a variety of research that Botswana is stopping the um, hunting of lions uh, and most big cats for trophy, whereas in South Africa, we have some issues where uh, they've done, and this is going to hit a hair trigger, and we might be able to cover this on another show, canned hunting or the farming of lions to raise for the purpose of hunting and the economic uh, toll that takes with some laws that have been put into effect that they can only hunt those animals after they've reached a certain age and the cost to the person to raise and keep those animals before they can be utilized as a trophy. Um, Any comments on that? (laughs) No comment. No comment, and I don't blame you. It's that's a, it's a real hair trigger emotional issue, um, and it's been going on for a long time. And I'd say one of the biggest points that we get in uh, when we start talking about farming charismatic species such as lions is the psyche and once again the charisma of these animals. How do you equate a lion? To a cow. We use cows for food. We raise cows strictly for our benefit. Um, cows are not considered wildlife. When it comes to hunting the species, these charismatic predator carnivorous species for sport and for enjoyment, I think we're bringing in a whole different aspect of what humanity and our humanity's responsibility is to our wildlife and to these species and understanding um, their role in the environment, which the Caracal Biodiversity Center highlights on a daily basis, the role of these species in um, in the backyard and the environment of the people who live with it. So as Mark had said, we've got, um, it's, a, it's a highly emotional issue. It'll be interesting to see what happens on LinkedIn as a result of this. And I would love to have both Kathy and Mark back if uh, we we need to have a further discussion on this. But um, Mark summed it up very well. It's um, it's not one size fits all. Um, it depends on what lo- wildlife is where, what types of management control um, uh, enforcement you have in place, what species are being hunted, and why, and where, and um, it. And, and a better understanding of uh, the numbers of these species and their place in our ecosystem and their role aesthetically and their role in terms of that culture of enjoyment and where does hunting fit into that in terms of our human evolution. So we've got about three minutes left here. Um, Mark, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Well, yeah, just, uh, you know, I, I don't think that canned hunting, you know, I, I have to stick my neck out here. I don't think canned hunting is a, is an ethical use of wildlife. I think that, that really does debase things a little bit. When your, your comparison with, with domestic stock and how we use domestic stock, domestic stock largely, you know, is used for some function. And it's either food or, it, you know, they're portage animals or they're plowing animals. There's some feedback. I think canned hunting is nothing other than just pure pleasure, and it's something I can't agree with. 
I agree with you. I, I, I do not condone canned hunting. I understand the, um, um, South African argument, uh, a little bit and we'll get into that another time. Uh, but I think you make a, a good point. It's the ethics of what we humans are doing and how we decide to live with wildlife, which is the today's show, Living with Wildlife, and how Wild Eyes works with our grantees and local communities across sub-Saharan Africa in um, helping to better understand how to live with wildlife that they've been living with for centuries, but in a changing paradigm and in a shifting world where economics and uh, are, are coming into play. Uh, it it makes us sort of have to decide what is our benchmark of wealth, uh, the have and have nots. Is it about money and dollar bills or whatever currency is in your pocket? Or is it about the health of our communities and the wealth of our wildlife and the wealth of our biodiverse ecosystems across our planet? So it looks like that's about all time we have today. Mark, I'd like to thank you so much for joining in. It's really a pleasure. And um, now that we can con- connect with you there in Botswana, I'd love to have you and uh, Kathy back. And uh, I hope people join into Our Wild World next week when we have Life Net Nature back. And we'll be connecting in with the uh, Kenyan Maasai Moran group. And then uh, we'll be having some animal communication going on and who speaks for animals. So that's it for today. Uh, welcome to Our Wild World. Step outside. Enjoy your wild world, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.